there's so much to talk about. I loved your story. Thank you for, yeah. <laughs> it's really intense. It made me kind of sad, actually. Yeah, there's a, I mean, it's sad. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a good way. It's just, it's very depthful and like, there's so much like longing in it. Yeah, there is. And uh, I mean, that's kind of authentic. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of your work, which is strong, actually. Yeah, I just came back. I just was one of the reasons I came to the city was to draw a portrait of this guy, Zachary Pace. He's a writer mm. and been editing it with me. So like I've been working on that since last August and uh, like sending it to him and he's sending it back with feedback and um and he asked that i just make his portrait a few times in exchange for the work and so it's mm. been, so it's been pretty nice and i'm actually working right now on a revision i'm changing the whole thing from omnipotent narrator to first person present mm -hmm. tense but and like you said something about your from the analyst point of view or did that change to your point of view yeah, so, you know, you know, I've been working on it this weekend and I kind of, you know, how did you ever watch The Twilight Zone? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I can't remember much. I'm, I remember bits and pieces, but yeah. But do you remember how like Rod Sterling would introduce the story? Oh, yeah. Commercial break, he'd talk about what was happening in the story. <laughs> yeah. Throughout so from like first person present tense to this sort of omnipotent sort of objective. Mm view of like contextualizing what's happening mm -hmm. so that, I think that structure I might play with that mm, that's interesting yeah it feels a bit like well it feel I feel like I'm reading it from your point of view but it's hard to tell if that's because I know you or not like yeah I mean I feel the most um <clears throat> empathy or I feel like, yeah, I'm reading it with a sense of empathy for the boy character. And yeah, that makes sense. Like one of my favorite, some of my favorite writing is like with the protagonists are like really precocious adolescents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have you ever read that book, The Mountain Lion by Jean Stafford? No. She wrote it. She was, she's an amazing writer. Uh, she wrote it in the thirties and, um, but it's one of the best books ever. If you like. Mm, I have to, yeah. I mean, I feel like I read a lot more nonfiction, but I feel like I would like to read more fiction. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I'm still like, I can't get over this book. I mentioned to you the psychoanalysis, the impossible profession. Wait, I think I might've read it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like considered like a kind of, I don't know, it's like a journalistic book, but it's really beautiful and really moving. And it's like, kind of, I feel like it kind of talks about analysis from the analyst point of view. And I like read it super fast. And I don't know, I'm still thinking about it a lot. I think, um, it, who wrote it? A female wrote it. She's a yeah. Janet Maslow, I think, something like that. For the times maybe like i think she's kind of like not as famous as joan didion but like of a 
of a similar ilk or whatever? I read that maybe five years ago. I mean, Will Heinrich, he's a writer who told, who's the one who told me to do analysis. Oh. Put me in touch with, or he didn't tell me to, like I needed a therapist and he's like, oh, I just found a therapist, but you should try analysis. And he's like, call Iptar. And I didn't know what I was signing up for. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same. I feel like that, yeah, it's quite a thing. <laughs> It's quite a commitment. I feel like I didn't even realize. Well, in the book, they talk about the they talk about psychoanalysis as being like surgery, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And accurate, and I don't know, like it talks a lot about transference and stuff, which I feel like I'm getting uh-huh. into. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm becoming aware of my transference more more recently. Uh-huh. which is interesting and <clears throat> I don't know that made me think of your work a lot too in a sense of like like in a way these kind of composite characters are kind of like relate to that idea in a way that no one is just like I don't know that everyone is kind of a composite and, and especially maybe in desire or something yeah so there's definitely i mean you say i think of archetypes mm-hmm. the composites so like they're archetypal composites I would yeah say. totally i never yeah I, yes they are i mm-hmm. mean composite is a good is a better word than collage but yeah or like uh but yeah has your i mean I mean, I could just, we could just talk about it. <laughs> I know, I'm ha- which I'm totally happy to actually, because I hardly, I don't know that many people who are in it, so I, and I could talk about it forever. So yeah. <laughs> um, has your, I'm just curious, your analysis, has it continued the same since COVID? Um, basically, I mean, I, um, well, I have, I was doing it for three times a week and then we went up to four actually during COVID, which I was great and helpful. And now I'm back to three, but I was actually thinking of going back to four again. <laughs> Cause I also was like, I was going in person for a while, which was very exciting, but then you wanted to keep the window open and it got too cold for me. So I'm like waiting for him to get vaccinated now so I can go back in person, but yeah. Yeah. How about you? Um, no, he, he stopped seeing patients in person. Oh, yeah. It went to phone and then it went to Zoom. So like for but for like four months, I only talked to him on the phone. And then oh, I yeah, went- me too. I thought you meant like in terms of reg- how much. But yeah, I, for, I was on the phone for several for quite a while, too. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I call, you know, I've been going three times. I mean, I can't believe I went four times a week in person for almost three years. Yeah. Just such so crazy. But I went back to three and then, you know, I decided, you know, I've been in it for eight years. Wow. I'm like, you know, I think I'm getting, I'm like, would you agree that I'm at the end, you know, the like mm. break it up into thirds. I'm in the final third of my analysis. He's like, yeah, you know, I would say that you there are some more things that we would be working on. And I was like, well, so should I just come two times a week now? He's like, no, I think maybe you should come four. <laughs> it's like, if you're at the end. Wait, say that again? 
huh? <laughs> Interesting. You broke up a little bit, but you're saying come more. Yeah, you're saying come more. Um, well, that's. So I mean, that like they cover like the whole the termination phase in the book too, and it was like really it kind of like pulled at my heartstrings. Like I don't know that part in itself does seem really intense. Like yeah, you know, it's like. I don't know, going on your own or finding what you're looking for in real life instead of in the office. Yeah. Yes. And I don't know. I mean, like going to four has been really amazing. I went back to four in November. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, yeah, it's a huge part of my work. It's like, yeah. if anything, it's just sort of like in uh, the confidence that I feel in making my work comes from analysis in this way of just sort of like trusting an impulse mm -hmm. to like follow a combination of images or um, rendering like a certain form in a certain material uh, like five times and like not knowing why. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then just like, oh, it making perfect sense like, you know, after I've done it, that mm -hmm. kind of thing of like being in an analysis and like, so like, well, why am I in my elementary school playground right now while we're talking about this, you know, <laughs> like, it's like, you know, following that path and it's sort of like, oh, yeah, it's like. It's <laughs> yeah, like, I was struck in your story by the kind of like clarity of like, I don't know, like the clarity of your family constellations and stuff and of like unconscious impulses and things it, not just of you but of uh, kind of everyone yeah and, and yeah I think just for someone who's known you for so long like I do see that change in your work like it feels like it became much less literal and much more like free associative and stuff that's a really good way to describe it yeah um, I mean narrative narrative is uh i guess it's sort of like um i mean narrative is always is the way i think it's like compulsive mm -hmm. narratively mm -hmm. but i guess there's that it's sort of a way for me to just like accommodate that and make the work um more expansive in a way is to fragment that narrative mm -hmm. well symbols or parts wherever the narrative is like what I think about Thomas Finland as an artist or what I think about Maplethorpe as a capitalist and <laughs> or um you know uh or if it's like a, a story by James Purdy that I'm reading it's like plucking out the symbols that relate to all three of those things and isolating them in a way and combining them with other stuff so mm -hmm. rather than illustrating a event or a memory which is what the earlier work really was just like yeah. early work being like 2005 you know mm -hmm. so like illustrations of memories so yeah and the characters were kind of more like it seemed like these were kind of like gender ambiguous characters kind of maybe being gender ambiguous in like rural situations but now there yeah there's a lot more um ambiguity in the characters now uh -huh. and like 
Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Maybe even a lot. I mean, I feel like the characters I as I see them feel, like you said, archetypes, like really highly masculine archetypes. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of an aside, but I, I just watched this movie. The um, Have you watched The Night Porter? Oh, a long time ago with Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, I just rewatched it and it kind of... I think the first time I watched it a long time ago, I was like, whoa, this is intense. And then this time I was like, whoa, this is, I don't know, this is very erotic and cool. (laughs) I I liked it a lot more and I felt like I related to a lot more this time, like this very intense, like, I mean, I'll just say the premise for people listening is like, I mean, I think there could be ways of reading it politically, but I was reading it more like psychologically and relationship way. And like there's a Nazi officer and a woman who's in a concentration camp who start a relationship and then meet again after the war is over and re reenact or begin again their relationship, which is very kind of um, very much partly about reenacting these roles and this trauma or whatever you want to call it power dynamics and it's really interesting like I feel like it speaks to like the horror of desire or something or the irrationality of it and the yeah I don't know and I felt like there's something about your work that I thought would that it might resonate with you or at least that there's something similar going on with like power and maybe even like violence or reenacting things in a way or something like this symbol of the knife feels like really important to you it does and it sort of like i mean it's important in a way that's like not doesn't really add up but I'm still really attracted to it. Like, and I mean, I haven't fully, don't fully understand why I keep returning to it, but other than, oh, it's this highly personal, I have this highly personal history with it. Like that bit in the story about how I came about my knife collection is true. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I have all these objects that were given to me and I remember who gave me which one and when, you know, so they're really specific, but they're also, you know, maybe they could be used for violence, but they're really just a tool that you keep in your, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, um, so it's not really, it's, they maybe suggest danger, but they're not, they're like mm-hmm. an extension of your hand and a very specific kind of hand in a way. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So it's more like a survival or just a, a tool than something that's used for violence. Yeah, you don't hurt people with pocket. <laughs> <laughs> okay that shows how much i i don't never have had a pocket knife so oh well it's your birthday it's <laughs> <laughs> so useful in new york because avocados suddenly become like street bananas you can oh. yeah like a pocket knife, you can just get avocados <laughs> and you do you still keep one in your pocket like at all times kind of in my backpack yeah uh-huh. yeah there's I always carry one with me mm-hmm. and you are just given them as gifts by like first an uncle is that what you said yeah, 
yeah. my uncle Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Buckeister. Um, yes, and he would give them to me. And they also symbolize this, and I realize this now, they historically they symbolize this a um, separation from the mother. Oh, that makes sense. Like kind of, yeah, like an adult taking, taking care of yourself on some level, maybe. Also, it's like my mom's not the one who's going to show me how to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like my dad or my uncle shows me how to use it. Right. Initiation or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think as a gay child with, a, you know, gay children usually have like a meshed overbearing mother or not usually, <laughs> often. Have, yeah. Or trying to make up for some deficiency in mm -hmm. like, uh, the male relationships in the child's life. Uh, so like those things, that was a really significant, important thing. Mm. Um, and so it, it works it, on a personal level. It's like it acts as this symbol that keeps me really interested in it. And also um, on a, as a, am I breaking up? No, no, you're yeah. good. <laughs> um, as a, um, they're also like still made in America. Mm. Like this sort of American pride case knives, like uh, mm -hmm. different cutler companies, they have knife factories in America and they're not like outsourced. Mm -hmm. And so it's this sort of, I feel like it's this sort of American symbol, which mm -hmm. is also feels, I mean, uh, I mean, the work that I'm most attracted to as far as writing is like regional country I feel like I'm American artist it doesn't mean like I need to be proud of that but I need like I have no I have no problem just like um letting that be the case you know and like as complicated as that yeah be it's like resting in that so the pocket knife sort of feels like it's connected to that trajectory mm -hmm. work that also. makes sense and even more than just uh American artists are also from the American South, which has a very different kind of flavor than like growing up in the Northeast or something. I was looking up the town you're from and it said it's a jewel set in the North Georgia mountains. <laughs> That's funny because I did all these drawings of like hands holding jewels. Oh. <laughs> They're like pasted in the sky above the like pastoral landscape. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the jewel, yeah. Like, so also maybe with the knife, like, I feel like in the story you allude to like whittling with it. It's also like, were you making like whittled objects as a kid? Like, just things to throw in the throw. <laughs> that will stick in the ground you're know, like whittling sticks like whittling like the, a sharp end of a stick is as far as I oh know. okay not like so i was like trying to make maybe it was like an early creative <laughs> creative implement for you but maybe i mean i don't know did you do you think it was in some way or not so much not so much i mean like it would be really cool if i made like hc westerman sculpture yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i think i'd be, you know I'd be by now <laughs> You were making, well, in the story also, they talk about making these drawings, which do sound like very much like pre pre premonitions of your later work or something. I mean, I'm only picturing them, but it's like, it sounded like a lot of the same themes that you're still interested in were 
Oh, well, that was fiction. I mean, oh, okay. Yeah, not really making <laughs> drawings. I think the drawings I made as a kid were basically uh, redrawing really satanic stuff out of Thrasher magazine, just to upset. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's cool. Do you have any of those still? Uh huh. But not in my studio right now. They're <laughs> older. <laughs> That's cool. It's funny, like the conflation of, like I don't know, like yeah, like you had this like religious upbringing, and then there's seems like you knew a lot of super like masculine men and stuff, but then there's like the metal stuff too it's a it's all like a funny there's like a lot of different aesthetic influences happening it's true and there's also yeah it's really true and um i mean those things are still such a huge part of what i feel like my at my identity i mean it's really kind of weird not weird it's just um yeah they're in a way, it's like you think of the things that saved you. In a mm. way, you get too corny, but like the things that <laughs> saved you. Yeah, <laughs> those things are still present. Mm -hmm. I feel like pay homage to them by like incorporating them into my day in my life or my studio or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's sweet. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you're. I feel like I don't know. As a outside viewer, it feels like your inner child or that like adolescent is still very much like a part of your work or an alive, active, yeah, part of something. I mean, I, I mean, it's, I don't know. It feels like it's kind of corny to say, but I'll say, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very true guide. Mm -hmm. it's still really worthwhile mm -hmm. to like trust those instincts as a guide yeah deciding what to do with the work and I mean it's not like I'm not thinking critically or being careful about what I'm producing but like they're like the 12 the 12 year olds imp impulse to be somewhat deviant mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> is still around in deciding what to do like i guess do you remember those truck drivers yeah the truck drivers. yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. the like weird ceramic urinal gifts that i made for the truck drivers that i'd photographed you know to oh say, i didn't know the urinals were for the truck drivers that's interesting yeah that was the that was why i started because they need to pee somewhere well they need to pee while they're driving okay <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's really interesting because it's actually very logical. But when you look at them together, it feels like very mysterious and like ancient. I don't know. It feels like not that at all. I mean, I think which is maybe partly because of the way you make them, like the urinals are very, I don't know, they're such strange objects. Like they do feel like from a lost civilization or something like that, but at the same time, not like, I mean, a lot of them have like football players and as they're, they're kind of anthropomorphized bases that are kind of like figures and 
but they have something weirdly ancient about them. When I look at them, at least they feel that way. Well, yeah, um, yes, that's on purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was looking at lots of Mesoamerican ceramics mm. and I was thinking about them and also just thinking of uh, like America, but like the history that's predates yeah, I mean, just like trying to think of it in transhistoric sense, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the furthest gap? Like, if this is the modern cowboy, like, how far back can I go to make its urinal? You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that kind of just stretching out time that way. Mm -hmm. How far back is allowed to go? Because it's still the same Earth in a way. Mm -hmm. the continent, the same Earth, is just the different people. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. I mean, it feels like it connects them to maybe again, like this idea of archetypes, like even though they're modern man or something that they're kind of part of something older and kind of more cyclical or I don't know, something like that. I mean, I, and the funny thing is like all the thinking about it happened after, you know, yeah. after the fact, I mean, the impulse is like, oh, look at these dads on thrones. Let me photograph them while I'm riding in the passenger seat, you know, uh -huh. and then it becomes this other thing. Yeah, those are really interesting photos. I mean, it's interesting partly, well, so I met you in 1995 and you were doing photography as like your major although <laughs> um I photographed you in 1995 what's that oh yeah 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 you was in 1995 yeah yeah like and I I mean I my sense of your photography was that you were like and maybe this wasn't totally was this wasn't all of it but that you were kind of aiming for like a fashion photo kind of thing more than like a fine art thing or something even though I feel like you were aware of and learning about all of it but it seemed like what you were interested in was like fashion photography mm -hmm. uh, yes I mean like I moved to New York to do fashion photography mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. what my mind was that was like my goal mm -hmm. But I was most, at the time, I was most excited by Larry Clark right. <laughs> and, like, and Eugene Richards. I don't know if you remember Eugene Richards. No, I don't. I will have to look that person up. Was that photo, fashion photo? No, no. all, and Bruce Davidson, they all like sort of, you know, reportage documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a class. There was definitely a class situation happening. Of, mm. Mm -hmm. not work but uh and at the same time I thought I wanted to do fashion photography and I did I guess at that time yeah you know, 18 year old <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so I mean we could talk about that time I mean I feel like we were both very different in that time maybe I mean we were like children essentially <laughs> or at least that's how I feel about myself but I feel like you seem very like cool and 
like social and like clubbing and all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was doing some of that too. I mean, I feel like I felt I felt like maybe you had this. I feel like we were pretty good friends, but I also felt like maybe you had a life that I didn't know anything about in some way too. Like that was like your other like fashion friends or something like that. I was, uh, yeah, I mean, oh my God. I was just like running. <laughs> I was running as hard as I could. Uh-huh. And also like having a lot, of, I mean, I had a lot of fun and it was like, we had fun. Yeah. Yes, there was definitely a Manhattan. I mean, I was working at a clothing store in the city. So I was going out a lot on the mm-hmm. weekend. And like, you know, by the time I was uh, finishing school, I was barely at school, you know, I was kind mm-hmm. of there. And I mean, you and I, I guess we kind of lost touch until about 94. I mean, 2004. Yeah, I don't even know what how I don't even know how we got back in I can't remember how we got back in touch actually, but yeah, we were we didn't there was a long period of not speaking. But not because we were just in different circles. I think yeah. you had gone I think Nell had told me you had gone to grad school at SVA and then at uh, Parsons, but oh, yeah. Parsons, yeah. <laughs> right, Parsons. <laughs> And um, I thought it was SBA for some reason. No, but I knew people who went to SBA. (laughs) And then, um, but you had finished and we met, oh, maybe because we were both showing. Oh yeah, maybe that, yeah. It was like, oh, we have, we know each other. And then, yeah, that was probably, I mean, yeah. Like I, I came to your shows at Klaus. But I think we saw each other a bit before that, too. Oh, yeah. Well, we went the first time we hung out, hung out. Um, we had sort of a friend date and we went to see this show at John Connolly Presents. of. AVAF. Oh, yeah. This AVAF show at John Connolly Presents. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like also we met one time. I don't know when this was when you showed me the movie Cruising. <laughs> That might have been a really long time ago. I can't remember when that was, but I remember it happening. We watched it. What's that? We came over and we watched Cruising. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> which I've never seen before, but which is a pretty interesting film. Uh-huh. A, my favorite part of that film is the first three minutes of the credits. Oh. Have you ever seen it? It's like, it just... It's sort of like a scroll left to right on screen, and, and the, the letters are like fill the entire screen and it just says cruising. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar now that you say it, but I only saw it the one time with you. But I, but I love the 70s film era. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had this, we don't, maybe we'll move back into more recent work, but like I was just having a thought because New York is so weird now. And I was thinking how it's hard to tell, but I feel like when we were young in New York that it had a lot more like soulfulness and was a lot more wild and like subversive and stuff. And I was wondering what you think about that. (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't take ecstasy and go to nightclubs anymore, (laughs) but there used to be this um, place. I mean, I guess before COVID and maybe it was like 20, 
2014, 2015, there was this nightclub called Spectrum in Bushwick that mm. my friend, da do you remember Ram Dasha? Ram Dasha? Ram Dasha or Dasha? <laughs> no. She was like, she was in photos. She was like really hip. She's black. She's, um, yeah, she's fucking cool. And she, she was like around our age. Uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. she, Anyway, we were, she lived, she was my neighbor for a while and she was bartending out there. Anyway, it sounded like an amazing nightclub mm -hmm. hours thing that was happening in Brooklyn and I'm just too old to go. So maybe <laughs> people are still, people are still doing their thing and I'm just, you know, we're just too old to participate. Or yeah, I mean, that is definitely very possible, but even just like the like, attitude or the I don't know there was all these little shops and I don't know you know just the vibe of it felt a lot more organic or something well yeah totally I mean with the just even thinking about record shops alone or yeah mm -hmm. yeah or clothing stores, like all these weird little clothing stores that were like totally like little installations inside and stuff. Smile on nylon. Yes, that's what I was thinking about. Actually, I <laughs> fucking love that store so much. Uh, I think I still have. Do you remember the mixtapes they used to have there? Yes, that they, they were like really important to me. <laughs> they were so good. I, my friend Christoph digitized a bunch of them. Oh. Um, a while back. Are they publicly available? I would like to hear those. No. Look, I might, I might have uh, a track of one of them, like a, a, mm, like a, a MP3. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I don't. There was one I had that I just like played constantly, and I loved it so much. Something that's like heartbreakingly gone as mixtapes. Yeah. <laughs> it was very different. I mean. Yeah, it was, I don't know, there was something more mysterious and like discover, like, I don't know, like secret things and like word of mouth and I don't know, stuff like that. Completely. And I mean, it was just, and I don't know if it was just, it's about being that age. Mm -hmm. It might be about being that age, but it's also, it definitely was about how things were traded and spread around and discovered. Yeah, like you couldn't, there was no websites, there was no cell phones, like, but, but yeah, like feeling, things did spread and like, I didn't, it was cool. I'm glad to have lived through that time. <laughs> sure. And the availability and spontaneity mm -hmm. or that was there. And that also might just be about being young, but it also has to do with like, I'm in your neighborhood. I'm going to buzz your buzzer and see if you're home. Right. Yeah. And say, oh, I just, you know, let's get found or whatever. <laughs> or come back to my house and listen to it or, you know. Yeah. I remember, I don't know why, but I, I feel like one of those times you're coming to my apartment on Spencer Street, I think it was. I'm not, it was a street where it had white, white castle on the corner and I think you just stopped by and I was making like sloppy joes and I was a little bit embarrassed and but you were totally on board with it and you like ate sloppy joes with me and Dustin <laughs> uh -huh. 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um. Well. So. I feel like so it's interesting those truck driver portraits were like are like feel like some connection to your earlier photo work but I feel like I do feel like images photo photo images are feel like they're still in there maybe in terms of research or something yes yeah I mean I just I just came back from I still have the apartment in the city and it has all my books and I just brought back all a bunch of books because I need faces like mm. drawings now and uh I have a, a collection of old yearbooks where no one's smiling and they're <laughs> portraits <laughs> just before you had to smile for your yearbook photo mm. and it's such good sources source imagery for finding faces uh to include in drawings, but yeah. And also, I mean, the picture collection, excuse me, the picture collection at the Mid Manhattan branch in New York has always been a place that I go when I don't know what I'm doing with myself. Yeah, it seems so enjoy, like I've never done that, but I remember you telling me that was part of your process. And like, I like the idea of it being like, a very physical form of research, which I was wondering about how that's difficult right now that you like, do you hope to return to that eventually? Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like so much of the things that I am attached to are all in my mind at this point. Mm. You know, it's so, looked at them so often that I don't need to look at it anymore, but I definitely enjoy doing it. And there's been big gaps in my you know, history of making things that I haven't done picture collection visits. Uh, mm. And there's so many, like what I do is I scan them and keep them. So I can go back through um, all the files that I've sort of collected from that sake mm -hmm. of picture collection. But I mean, I guess photos also really a big part just in, uh, I guess, um, photographers also still mm. like, like like that the like Im imprint of certain photographers work on you kind of comes through or yeah or like you know gay photography like Carl Heinz Weinberger or, mm -hmm. or George Darrow or Maplethorpe or mm -hmm. um, uh like Bruce of LA or mm -hmm. just um Bob Miser, mm -hmm. that, that all those images are so seductive and um, there's just good, such good shapes and bodies and costuming and mm -hmm. fragments. I mean, I basically look at them for fragments of things. Yeah. Like recreate the photograph. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, also the, the sculptures you've been doing, they have photographic parts in them too right or what do you mean there's these like wooden figures that have like little boots at the bottom and they're like seem to have different parts of photos combined in them is that right yeah mm -hmm. those sort of like totem pocket yeah sculptures yeah or some of them are just well some of the ones you sent oh, me those yeah yeah those are definitely from that is 
Yeah, that was like a game I was playing for a while. Did you ever have that um, that game fashion plates? Um, I believe so. Although I can't remember exactly. Oh, it was like like that with like little the parts of different quadrants of the body were kind of like combined to create a fashion model or something. And then you put a piece of paper on and you did a yeah. rubbing with a crayon. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. I do remember that. <laughs> So basically, I was obsessed with the police. The New York Public, the picture collection had these folders uh, of policemen from mm -hmm. every country, and they were they were like big, fat folders, like you know, three inches thick, and it's all photographs of policemen from every country. Wow! It's like um, Guam, uh, you know, Singapore, or you know, the whole folder would be. It was just different regions of the world, and. Um, so I just was so into them. And so I did, I made my own fashion plate collages of mm -hmm. those, the, the uniforms. Yeah, it was totally, it was totally, let me make a game that I enjoy to generate uh, an object because mm -hmm. I don't know what else to make right now. So I'm just going to play this game for a while. Yeah. They're really beautiful. I like them a lot. And then they have these weird little wooden feet that are different kinds of shoes. <laughs> like they're much, the feet are much more just like wooden shapes and instead of photographic images. Yeah. I mean, there's always, there's, I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because of like the nightclubbing history or the, you know, disco loving part of myself but whenever I'm making something I always want there to be some kind of disco in it <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel that yeah I get that that's a nice way of putting it no matter how sad cruel, and repressed it is like there needs to be like a little disco somewhere in there <laughs> well they have they do they have a lot of I feel like they're very sexy in a subdued way like they're kind of I don't know, like they could be kind of sad and tortured, but they also are, there's something really touching and sexy about them. Like I'm reminded a little bit of um, Marsden Hartley, like the those paintings that are just like the emblems of the officers and stuff. I mean, they don't look anything like that, but it feels like there's this, um, there's this interest in the, in the uniform, right? Or yeah, I mean that's so. You're the second person to bring him up. Like, um, there's an artist that lives near here that came over for a visit a couple of weeks ago, and she brought him up when looking at, around my studio. And I'm surprised you bringing it up and and her bringing it up, but it's just uh, because the forms are so different. But he's somebody I think about all the time, but not so much in the work he made as much as like his narrative, his personal narrative is like biographical narrative as an artist, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like I see myself as some like outsider victim that doesn't have a sexual home in this world or something, you know I mean? I, I'm, like, I'm like a white gay man who lives in New York, you know, it's not like yeah. I'm alone. But um, there is this sort of, uh, I don't know, there's this, 
there's this searching for spiritual connection in his life and in his work. And it's like really present in his work. And uh, so I think of him in those terms a yeah. as a maker um, rather than um, formally, you know, trying yeah. to mimic the things he made. But there's also, yeah, just looking at men. I mean, he was, he was looking at men from, uh the outside yeah and he's got like a regional thing going on at different points too which is cool but yeah they think there's i think maybe something you both share there's like a transcendent quality like it's not like it's his images of men are not like tom of finland at all they're like something else that is yeah it feels kind of spiritual or something and I feel that in your work too, that it, I don't know, it's not just like, it's not just like, mm, it's much more than sex, I think, something you're getting at. Uh, yes, it's true. The, um, it's more just like, yes, it's that. It's mm -hmm. more than sex, but I'm thinking about, I don't know how to say it, but the thing, if I want to like, like if there's something that he's doing that I feel like I try to aspire to in my work and I'm, and I'm sort of just free associating here, but it makes perfect sense. It's like the way he paints a wave or he, the way he paints a cloud. Mm -hmm. Like there's a material shift in the mm -hmm. that like makes both of those things that are not solid, solid. Mm -hmm. and they have a different physical presence and like they they feel like they touch me emotionally Yeah. because of that. And so maybe that's what, if like there's something I want to mimic that he does, that would be it. Yeah, that's, that's great. I like that. Yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of like longing in his work too, that is very affecting. Um, but yeah, I don't know, we were talking about photo stuff. And yeah, it seems like you use a lot of different photos. Another person I kind of think of, although I think you have very different aims is like Katie Nolan, just maybe in the sense of like, using these charged images or something or I don't know. I have to look that up really quick. For some reason, I can't picture that work. I love it. She's like kind of this, she was Kenneth Nolan's daughter, but she's a real hunky kind of like, I feel like her work is very kind of critique of American politics and or the dark side of America or something like that. Um, it's Katie Noland. Yeah, C-A-D-Y. Oh, that's why it's really like she's done stuff with like the Manson girls and like. You know. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but oh, like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like you, I was just looking at different stuff. There was some where you were cutting out pictures of like prisoners and there's a lot <laughs> of wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> What did you ever watch Glow? I was really into Glow. I was like, I 
<laughs> oh, I didn't. But I mean, somebody was telling me to watch it. Was it good? I loved it. I mean, it was very much more low budget than what I mean. I feel like regular wrestling was already oh, kind of well, low budget. You were asking if I watched that dumb uh, dramatized. No, no, the real thing, the real oh, thing. I watched it when I was a kid, and my yeah. dad would watch it with me, and we'd laugh. Yeah, I loved it. Like, I loved the, uh, I don't know, the characterization. Like, I found it, I was watching it when I was, like, in fourth grade, and I did find it very, like, empowering or something. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word, but it was just a really interesting, different female characters than I would see in any other place, and... They were very kind of ham-fisted, but they were they were exciting to me. Completely, and uh, uh, yeah, they were great. <laughs> but, I mean, the wrestlers also just comes from like vintage wrestling photography, because the images. I mean, photography used to be this thing that I mean. I don't mean to get into like how everything was better before, but there was there was sort of this gap in uh, control. There was a huge gap in control with photography. And if you like lots of vintage sports imagery, it's like because you weren't taking 5,000 frames, you'd end up, they'd end up printing frames that were really ambiguous and kind of strange and kind mm. of wrong. And, uh, and the bodies are really good when they're frozen midair. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah there's a lot of really generative imagery in those old wrestling magazines so. yeah that's interesting I I kind of hadn't put my finger on it but yeah like your sources are generally like are your sources generally like 1980s or earlier is that fair to say or mm, yeah I guess yeah sure mm -hmm huh like do you yeah. ever do you ever feel inspired by current imagery or not as much like in terms of a source jail reports oh where do you where do you get those those are pretty current um i don't <laughs> think they're making them anymore um but you used to be able to get them up until about five years ago i could get them at the gas station near where my parents live mm -hmm. but it's basically called um it's called uh what's it called um, I can't remember the name of it. It was such like a bad, oh, Busted. There was this magazine called Busted. And basically it's all, it's like, and they have pages of like the worst mug shots of the week. Like people who look really disheveled in the straw. It's like, it's they're horrible. Busted and they're busted. Yeah, <laughs> busted and they're busted. But then there's like, you know, just pages and pages and pages of mug shots with like a short description of what they were arrested for. Oh, wow. It's like not paying child support or wow. something like that. But it's, um, I mean, the same way that, you know, that's, I mean, who cares about why they were arrested? It's really just about the faces and like- Yeah, portraits. Yeah, they're portraits. And some of the lighting is so nice in those. And, um, you know, it just, it's like, it generates a uh, narrative. Mm -hmm. yeah seems easy to like yeah like imagine what their lives are like and a lot of different purient details or something <laughs> is that the right word I don't know what purient means what <laughs> boyfriend they would make yeah <laughs> <laughs> have you ever dated someone who was in prison <laughs> you mean currently 
No, ever. <laughs> yeah. Never be Aaron. I don't know. I don't. It's not ringing a bell. We were together for like four years. He before I dated Desi. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, that wasn't why we were together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had been incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, yeah, like, I feel like the collage printmaking stuff is very, like, very layered and has a lot of different kinds of images and, yeah, feels very free associative and stuff. Yeah, that stuff, I mean, that was, I was working with this artist, Danny, Leventhal, she recently named her, changed her name to Danny Restack. Mm. Um, but we were making video together. Oh, right. I forgot. I went to see the yeah. film you guys made together. Yeah. Yeah. And we, when we were making that, we were making a lot of collaborative drawing also. And it was lots of collage. And so then I, I walked away from that doing a lot of collage and then did the printmaking. And it just, it was sort of like the editing the film is what led to the breaking of the straight narrative in the work mm. I was making or the things I would, the way I was thinking about making imagery even because of like the editing, the, the jumps and the jump cuts and editing that were possible. Like, like when you butted two things up against each other, there was like this gap of understanding where like the real meat of what you were trying to get at could exist. You know? Yeah. And um, so collage was sort of like a material extension of that. And then I sort of started thinking about it in terms of, you know, not only just collaging imagery, but like uh, choosing what material you might, you might want to produce the image in. So mm -hmm. it could be a collage. And so that's really how that truck driver urinal thing happened. Like the stretch between the photograph and the ceramic, and like trying to push those two things together um, narratively, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's like I mean, the printmaking was so useful. Um, yeah, I feel like those works are really beautiful and felt like a new level or something. Like there's all different kinds of like, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking about some of what I remember of them, but like there's like, it'd be like wrestlers and then maybe some drawn part and like maybe like a cartoon figure too, like really radically different sources, but just like they really work together in this beautiful way. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was really relaxed when I was making that work too. Mm -hmm. Kind of. I mean, I was talking to a friend yesterday, or the day before yesterday, talking about uh, wanting a gallery again. I haven't had a New York gallery in a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should I should have Klaus, but you know, like someone who's like, yeah, you know, on my team. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why he said, but he's like, oh, you know, relax in the studio. Mm -hmm. 
And it's so, it seemed like it didn't make much sense to what I was talking about. But when I think about those, those prints, it's like, I was so relaxed when I was making all that work. Mm, that's so nice to hear. <laughs> yeah. And also something about the process, like the setup was just like, like the policeman, it was like, I'd made this game for myself that mm -hmm. I could just like hang out and live in for a long time while I planned out how to make those prints. It was pretty, pretty cool. So like kind of like setting up some parameters that you can just kind of like riff on in a way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, like those prints were basically like playing paper dolls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no way. That's yeah. cool. What, um, so it would be like part of it would be a print and part of it would be like an add on team collet or something. Is that right? Uh -huh. Yeah. The color, a lot of the color would come in as a watercolor monotype. So. Mm. There were these three different layers of image making happening. And um, and I could control it for the most part. There was a lot of control, but then there was a lot of just satisfying surprise with the watercolor monotype. Mm -hmm. That would um it was surprising how how much you could mess it up and it'd still hold together as an image. Yeah. What would meaning like not really like maybe thinking it was gonna be in one place but then it end up in another but it still works anyway yeah like you know i'd sort of like there the bodies were etched like these sort of line etchings to sort of suggest a body but that was like a really thin black etching and then the color for the bodies would be put on like you'd paint just color on plexiglass in a sort of the general area mm. They would do all these weird things like dying, you know, those weird Easter eggs. You know, whenever that, like, you could do <laughs> those Easter eggs with like the oily colors and they do like all this swirling stuff on the Easter egg. Yeah. You know, yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> I did, but not a lot. I I think I know what you mean. <laughs> like, uh, like marbleization. Exactly. Marbleization. <laughs> yeah. Watercolor would start to do that. Mm hmm. I mean, it's like, like your earlier, I think, I don't know, it opened up something. I mean, maybe that was already happening. But like, your earlier drawings were very like precise and kind of tight and stuff. So it like, it feels like there was a lot more playfulness in those works. And yeah, just like, discovery or something. Definitely. And um it's, it's so crazy how it's still hard for me to trust that that's a, that's a satisfying, worthwhile place to live in while making. Really? It feels like you're so in that. Or what I, the work I've seen of yours over the past like five or more years, like it feels like it feels very mysterious and like unplanned. Like maybe unplanned is the wrong word, but that. Like, I, I don't know, I feel like you alluded to before and I felt like um, that you, on some level you don't have to like know what it's about before you make it. Like you can just trust that if you trust your instincts, there'll be things there that need to come out or something. 
That's definitely true. I think though in the making though, like there's it takes work to remain remain in the space of just letting things stay fluid. I think these funny drawings that you see behind me are like uh, exercise and keeping that going. Because mm -hmm. the ceramics that I've been building, they take, you know, maybe like three weeks to build and uh, and while I'm sort of figuring out the form as I build them, there's still like there's this I don't know, like there's a space of seizing up or something like when it needs to it needs to be completed in a certain way that that whereas like I think it also has to do with the material like uh, and like if you're printmaking, there's like so much room for error because you're making multiple. So there you're just inherently more free with what you're there's less risk going on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it takes work to, to like stay in the space of. Uh, of uh looseness and mm -hmm. and it's i'm most satisfied when i'm when that's a big part of the work i think it also the work's better usually yeah i mean you're you're doing video and performance and painting but mostly painting now right yeah i kind of just basically decided I retired from performance and video because painting's really hard and I want to just put everything into that. And I was, yeah, I did always think of myself as interdisciplinary, but then, yeah, I don't know. I made this decision that I'm just going to be like a painter. Smart decision. We've talked about that before. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. I just spent so long trying everything and now it feels more radical to just focus in somehow. Um, but I do feel like, like you were saying about editing, I do think, I mean, I loved editing and I do think it was an interesting or formative process or something. I mean, definitely the language of film in general, I think had a big impact on me on some level. But in that painting, there's like, I mean, your paintings are really loose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really. <laughs> So there's like the space in there, or is there a, there's plenty of space in there for the paint to push back against your image and maybe even surprise you. Yeah. And I would like to even, I feel like the thing I'm thinking about is even like not maybe, I would like to go even more towards that, like not even knowing what I'm going to make a painting of or not having a source image or I don't know. Like, I, I think I need to get more into that kind of. Did you do a lot of life drawing after foundation? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think only later did I, once I didn't have to do drawing in a certain way, I think it became a lot more pleasurable to me. And now I do a lot of life drawing just as like a practice and I like it a lot, but it's, I feel like I have to be super accurate or something also. Um, I'm sad about COVID and not being able to go to life drawing from time to time. Oh yeah, I was doing that a bit too, which the wide hotel would put on life drawing and I was really into it. Oh, that's cool. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, it would be like once a month. And it I was like surprised at how much I loved it, actually. Like I 
didn't expect it to be so generative, but it was really, it was really good for me. And yeah, I'd like to do more of it. Yeah. Were you doing that too? Oh, or going. Friend Jimmy, who goes all the time, and so occasionally just to hang out with him, I join him. But we would go to Minerva's drawing studio. It's like Spring Street Studio in the city. Mm -hmm. There's like black drawing three times a day there. Wow. Um, cool. I think they might have lost their space, or they're still moving around. She's like a yeah. Mm -hmm. Sundays to portrait, and there was this really kooky old teacher there who was. Mm -hmm. He was amazing. He was uh, um, such a nut and so enthusiastic about how you're drawing. But, you know, it's three hours and there's three people um, mm. on, on the stage and you're just doing portraits the whole time. Oh, wow. I don't think I've ever, I also worked as a figure model for a long time and I, I yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I ever went to a session. I think I was a portrait. I have been people's portraits, but I don't think I've ever gone to a session that was purely for portraiture. That's interesting. <laughs> um, I forgot that you did that. Yeah, I did it for like a long time, like 10 years or something. Doing it. I started at Pratt and then I did it at SVA and I did it for just like private artists and Brooklyn Museum and kind of. I did it in New Mexico, like I did it kind of whenever, but then it just didn't seem like enough money. Like at the time it seemed like a lot of money and then it wasn't really that much money later on. Jimmy tells me that I, I may be making this up, but Stephen Mizell used to teach a figure drawing at FIT. Mm -hmm. you know, supposedly it was incredible. Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I can dressing up models. For oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, like costume drawing. <laughs> and I got so excited about that. He and I and this other person that from that would go to life drawing at the gay center, we started hiring models to come just for the three of us to draw. And we put them in like nothing but like a denim vest or something. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I bet there was plenty of guys that were down for that. Or <laughs> I don't know. Them like 50 bucks or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they might have even done it for free <laughs> just to hang out. <laughs> oh, and you had a really, I'm remembering your cool show you had at the Gay Center, which was very beautiful. <laughs> was um, that? That's nice of you to mention. Yeah. I was remembering one piece, especially that was like, it was like the back of a football player, I think, but it had like a ripped t-shirt embedded in it. Is that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that one I remember really like. It was a photograph of a prisoner that I found at the picture collection that I redrew really big. Mm. Um, Where did this shirt come from? That was my night. Well, that shirt came from, oh, it's a long story. I know that shirt. It came from this guy, John McGrath, who used to design the shoes for Christian Dior. Wow. My boyfriend had a thrift store and they <laughs> gave Desi as a gift. And then when I was dating, dating Desi, he gave it to me and it was my night shirt for like seven years. Uh -huh. 
I wore it to sleep in for like seven years mm -hmm. and I used it in that drawing. Mm -hmm. That's cool. But it was like a Olympic figure skating shirt from the 1980s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a bunch of stars with figure skater skaters. Oh yeah, I forgot about that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that drawing now is in uh, someone else's house because I got tired of storing it. I was like, you can keep this in your house if you want to have it. <laughs> give it back to me. That's, yeah, I like it when I like getting things out of the house. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, it's very cool. <laughs> like I, yeah, I don't, I want... I don't want it to just be piling up in my storage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we didn't really talk, we kind of talked around the ceramics a bit, but that seemed like a huge advance or something from my perspective. When, when did you start getting into the ceramics? Oh, I mean, I've always, well, which ones? Well, I remember you did like porcelain works that were like earlier, but I guess the urinal pieces seemed like a whole new vein or something. Yeah, it was. Um, I, it's, I started making those in my home. And then um, that was 20, it was really in response to the photographs. Um, mm. I photographs and I didn't, like I'd shown a couple of them uh, at this show at the Daedalus Foundation. I don't know, remember if you came to that or not. It was like. I don't think I did. Probably not. And I was, uh, and I was living with these trucker photographs and they needed objects. And I didn't feel like, I carved a piece of stone to go with them once like this uh, out of alabaster, this fragment of an arm with a hand and a glove. And, uh, and I made this giant concrete leg. So it was like an arm and a leg that went. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was totally walking to my, I had the studio in Sunset Park and I was walking there and there was this milk jug with, there was an empty milk jug sitting on the loading dock with this sort of black piece of pipe sitting on top of it that was like slightly bent. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it looks like, and it was, it was, it wasn't combined in any way, but I'm like, oh, that looks like a portable urinal. <laughs> took it into my studio and combined it. Oh, and, wow. And it just lived in my studio for a while. And I'm like, hmm. And then uh, I was in, I was traveling, working for David Altmud. Mm. Uh, I was working at the Louisiana Museum and they had a show of, pre-Columbian ceramics mm. and uh, I was walking through it like a few times a day while I was working there and um, thinking about those forms and that milk jug urinal and um, and uh, and like how that was the right way to render what I wanted to render mm. so initially I just I'm first I'm I just recreated the milk jug with a pipe in ceramic mm -hmm. and um, it didn't, you know, and then I made it a figure, mm -hmm. you know, cause all the, there were all these figurative vessels, you know, mm -hmm. in those shows that were like really ambiguously rendered. 
and um and and i realized like i mean when i edited when i would edit those photographs of the truck drivers it was really unsettling because um you know they didn't know i was photographing them so i made them like my dad i asked my dad to help me do the project so he they have like this suv mm-hmm. my dad was would be in the driver's seat and i'd be in the back seat of the passenger side mm-hmm. like you know a child you know like i would have when i was a child and i had the window rolled slightly down and like my camera sticking out the top of it and i'd tell my dad to pass the truck driver really slow and i would just had my camera set on like um uh sports mode mm-hmm. so like you know 30 frames a second yeah and then we driving and then so i had no idea what i got until two days later when i was editing and you know you you click through the photos and then it's like all of a sudden they're making eye contact with you right and it's like the way that felt it felt like i was getting caught and it felt like i was doing something really wrong and also like i kind of like there was this underlying guilt of like i've invaded this person's space you know mm-hmm. and i didn't i didn't ask permission and like all these like and there's of course objectification going into it you know so it really felt yeah. like to make them all a gift <laughs> oh that's so interesting i mean it's really interesting that your father helped you with them like i'm really curious about what his like what his impression of what was happening was but i feel like it and when i look at them i feel like there's also a sense of like yeah it does feel like a really intimate moment between you and the truck driver even though it's like a split second like it feels like you're uncovering something about them or something i don't know yeah i mean i have it, it, it's surprising It was Yeah. I was also really excited that you know that that all those elements were possible in photography, you know. Yeah. Um, it like, feels like a perf- it does feel a bit performative or something like it feels m- m- like it implies this situation or I don't know, there's something that kind of reaches further than just an image like it implies some this meeting or this moment that i don't know how to describe it yeah i mean it's um it's also like a performance that we've all done mm-hmm. um whether it's like looking and making eye contact or like um you know catching a truck driver looking in your car as you drive by right not to try to get them to honk their horn when you're a kid or like i mean something that we've all engaged in yeah i feel like usually i have a or i've had a sense that they are like being voyeuristic that they can kind of see into your car and like that they're like i don't know they have a kind of omniscient viewpoint or something but it feels like reversal of that in some way like they seem more vulnerable than you would expect or something i don't know even though they're kind of yeah the photographs yeah mhm yeah i mean i didn't it also has to do with which ones i chose to print i mean mm-hmm. a whole lot that i didn't print 
but um, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's one in my studio now, a little one, like a little. <laughs> are you still, are you still, do you continue to make them or do you feel like it's like a series that's done? I should make them just because they're so generative. I mm -hmm. mean, it's like a good, they're, they're, it's not broken, you know, it's mm -hmm. <laughs> really good. But no, I haven't made made new ones in a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it, that stretch of highway between North and South Carolina on 85 was is a really good stretch of highway, though. That's where a lot of them were made. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I haven't done it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my dad, my dad is like kind of incredible. He just like was happy to spend time together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> was aware what was going on you know he and, was aware yeah, yeah. yeah like the impulse or like what I was up to and um in regards to like objectification and desire sure mm -hmm. like yeah that's cool does so would you show him the finished photos or yeah yeah they saw I mean they saw them yeah Both saw them yeah mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there was once, I mean, I, there was, uh, um, so my dad, I went down to do this, specifically to do this, and like had my dad and I went out a few times uh, during my trip down there. And there was this one moment that he, me and my dad and my mom were going to drive to visit uh, a cousin who was in the hospital. And I was like, oh, I'll take my camera. And having my mom in the car too, it, I didn't want to do it. It felt awful. Yeah. Really? What do you like more? Like you felt more she would judge you or something, or just? It felt like a it felt like a triangulation of something mm. I don't want to be included in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't. I feel like I would. I mean, I've gotten my father to help me in different ways, or kind of clandestinely made art in his backyard. <laughs> And things that I, yeah, I feel very, um, I feel very like blocked just being in his house or something. Like I can barely even like write in my journal at his house. Like I don't, I don't know. There's something weird where it's not. I can't be that vulnerable to make art like in that realm or something. Yeah, I mean it's good for analysis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I guess that's all the questions I have, but I, but yeah, I'm always down to talk about analysis. In well, a way. I feel like, I mean, one thing, I mean, I know that you're making this about my work, but you're, um, I have thought some, well, a little bit about Courtney Love. Mm, yeah, I'd be curious what you think about her. Well, you know, I actually, had to look up and make sure she was still alive <laughs> yeah well i do that's interesting you say that because i'm kind of not interested in her past her like like i'm interested in her grunge phase and i'm interested when when she became like this a-list movie star for a moment and then now i'm still like like i'm not interested in using her current personage in art like i'm only interested in that like narrative trajectory from like this grunge to movie star thing <laughs> well i i looked up her um 
videos and the first video that came up was like her berating Madonna like <laughs> like the MTV Music Awards or something did you see that video have you ever seen it where she interrupted familiar there's one there's a situation where she um like kind of uh what's the word she like she like inter she like throws a compact up while Madonna's getting interviewed and like ends up becoming part of the interview which I think Madonna's very upset about is that the one that's the one yeah, yeah. about what like I mean it's kind of heartbreaking just because she's such a drug addict right like, well not anymore but or apparently not anymore but yeah she was she is I'm also I'm interested in that too like she's a very troubled person yeah, yeah. But somehow, even despite that, she's quite a survivor, you know, like it's an interesting mix of things. Yeah, I mean, but like you're, I mean, what you say, is it all right for me to, well, you don't have to use it if you don't want, but like you said to me, you're interested in her because you appreciate that she doesn't give a shit if people don't like her or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think she seems partly incapable of filtering herself. And I'm interested in that because I think I have been a real people pleaser. And I'm trying to be less of that. like, I'm, I'm trying to become less of that, or I feel like I am, but she's a real extreme version of that, I guess. You want to adopt her as your spirit animal is <laughs> like utility. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You want to utilize her as a spirit animal in certain situations. Yeah, like just and just also we don't I don't think we have that many celebrities that are so raw and unfiltered. Like usually everyone's so like kind of reading their script or whatever. Or their unfiltered is a script like Miley Cyrus. Yeah, exactly. It's just like another trope or something. And I think she's genuinely unscripted maybe because she's mentally ill or <laughs> drug addict or something, but, but there's something really interesting about that. Yeah, there is interesting. And also like, I mean, heartbreaking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's not, well, I think I'm also interested in the fact that she's like, I'm, I feel like I keep saying this in analysis. Like, I don't, I don't want to be good. Like, <laughs> I don't want to try to be a good person anymore. I want to be like a whole person. And, and I think she's very comfortable with her shadow or whatever. Like, I think, which is interesting to me. Like, I don't know. I think there's a way that goodness can get in the way of being honest or something. I got it. You weren't even raised Southern Baptist. No, no. Yeah. <laughs>